Amen. Hey, what a morning to be able to celebrate the power of God, to declare it as we have in worship, the creative power of God as they've just sung about, but also as they also voiced that redemptive power of God, that he's able to take our failures and just remove those, that sin, and forgive us. What an awesome time to be able to come and worship in such a way this morning. And I want to talk to you about the power of God. I want to talk to you about the power of his reconciliation, the power that God has to bring reconciliation into our families, into our lives, and even into our faith. So I want to show you from Exodus chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter 18. And of course, this is the story of Israel. God is the hero. God is the one who has delivered his people. Moses, I believe, is recording this for us. And Moses plays a key component in that delivery. God's the hero, but God is using other individuals like Moses in particular to affect his will. And you see it in Exodus 18. And Moses is telling us all about it. I believe he is the author of this scripture. And as he is writing, he also gives us a little bit of insight, I think, into his own family, into his own reconciliation that he experienced. I, I really believe that he draws back the curtains just a bit and he says, come on into my life and let me show you an area where God worked. And he gives us a very intimate, personal picture of God's activity. So I want you to see that. Exodus chapter 18. Let's begin in verse 1. It says, And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, notice that verse 1. We are told that Moses is at the top of his game. Moses has gained popularity. Moses is in a place of position and privilege. Yes, the people have complained at times, but God has put Moses in a wonderful spot, and Moses has experienced victory. Even his father-in-law is impressed with what he's heard. Isn't it awesome, those of us who are married, isn't it awesome every now and then, guys, to impress your father-in-law? I, I mean, I don't think I've ever imp really impressed my father-in-law. I know I've depressed him from time to time. As a matter of fact, some years ago, I decided I could play golf. And I tried golf. Now, my father-in-law is a great golfer. But I decided I could go with him. Uh, Leslie's brother and I, we went out with, her, with Ricky and another coach or so at the school. And we were all playing. And he finally looked at me at one point and he said, Hey, Reggie, uh, won't, you just, uh, won't you just pick your ball up and you can just bring it up here with ours and drop it there and all and do you know how that hurt that your father-in-law your father-in-law you don't want to look that bad in front of your father-in-law I gave golf up I decided that if I was going to keep my ministry and my marriage it had to leave my life no golf for me anymore I mean but to impress the Bible says that Moses, again, is in this place where he is impressing people, even his father-in-law. His father-in-law has heard news. His father-in-law is down in Midian, some miles away. And yet through the grapevine, through the travelers that have passed by, 
he has heard of Moses. And, and what a victory it was at the Red Sea. I mean, the word began to spread. You can only imagine when people started like streaming their television broadcasts back then, they would see a breaking news because Israel had won. As a matter of fact, the little ticker on the bottom of the screen would have said, Israel won, Egypt zero. And everybody would have been celebrating of what had happened. Social media would have blown up, Twitter's, the tweeting or tweeting, whatever it is, they would have like, you would have seen all kinds of things because they would have wanted to tell the story. So here's Moses, great point in his life. First one, you're told this wonderful moment of victory. But as we move through the next few passages, especially verses 2 through 5, I want you to hear this, that you can be at the top of your game, you can have victory, you can seem to be moving in the will of God and everything's going real well. And there can still be weak spots in your life. There can be areas of difficulty that you have to face. Because, see, Moses had saved a nation, but he came very close to losing a family. Uh, let me share it with you as we look at verses 2 through 5. It says, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now, when you first read through those, you think, oh, this is nice. Moses getting back together with his wife, his kids. This is a great reunion. What are you talking about difficulty? This, he's had victory. Wouldn't this just be another moment of victory because he's coming back with his family? Well, you might assume that until you've read through the scripture itself. Do you remember the last time that Moses' wife was mentioned? The last time Zipporah was mentioned in the scripture? Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Fourteen chapters have taken place. You haven't heard anything about Zipporah or the boys. The last time you heard about them, there in chapter 4, you actually found a moment of conflict within the marriage and the family. Do you remember this? Exodus chapter 4. I preached it on Father's Day. Reggie Bridges' sermon. Awesome. Remember that? It was a... There you go. I'm proud to hear finally. But yes, it was a moment of strain in the relationship. Remember, Moses had gotten together. He had heard God say, go to Egypt. I need you to do this and that. And, and Moses got his family together. Zipporah and the boys, they went with Moses. But along the way, according to chapter 4, it says that God came against Moses. And why did God come against Moses? Because Moses had not circumcised his son. Now, I know some of us, again, think, God, was that a big deal? Why would you worry about circumcision? Well, see, circumcision was the basic task of the covenant. In other words, when you came into the family of God, the covenant of God, when you came into the nation, you were supposed to be circumcised. As a young male child, you were to be circumcised. Moses should have done this. Moses should have carried out his responsibility to his son and to his family. 
But the Bible says for whatever reason he doesn't. I believe it's simple neglect. I don't think it was just rebellion. I just think he neglected it. Because when you get to thinking about big missions in your life and great tasks, you can sometimes neglect, neglect those smaller responsibilities. And I believe he had neglected his family. The Bible says that Zipporah actually fulfills the duty and circumcises the young boy. She then looks at her husband and she says, You are a bloody bridegroom. That's what she says. You can almost hear the contempt when you're reading through her words. You can almost hear her looking at him like, I cannot believe that you have put yourself and our family at risk because you would not obey God. You could almost hear her saying, why do I have to step up and do what you should have done? Because big resentments come from small hurts. And there's some big resentments sometimes in our relationships because we have failed to step up and do what we were called to do. They might be small hurts, but all of those small hurts add up overall and bring resentment. And I believe that she resented her husband. And she went back. Now, we're not told that's the exact moment when she went back to Jethro, but I'm convinced it is because he goes on alone to meet his brother. God does provide a brother to help him during those moments. But she seems to go. Look, when you look at verse 2, it says that he sent her back. That verb, sent her, is a strong word. It is a word which means he compelled her. He like forced her to go back. There are some commentators that read this, that see that word, and they see how it's used in the Old Testament, and they believe that an actual divorce took place here, that Moses divorced his wife. Now, I do not believe that. I don't think that he had divorced Zipporah at this point. But I would suggest that at the very least, their relationship is fractured. Their relationship is strained. And somehow they've got to come back together. Not only in a marriage relationship, but also Moses coming back together with his sons. Don't forget this. His sons. Well, in verse uh, 3 it said... Her two sons. Did you know that? It's kind of like she's coming with her sons because there has been this strain, this separation that is there. Now let's just admit this. That strain, hostility, even a fracturing of a relationship can occur. And it can occur in some of the best of families. It can occur in those families we think of as Christian families. It can happen. It can happen pretty quickly. You know, I hear people sometimes uh, talk about coming to church, and especially when I get to visit with them about certain things in their lives, and they will sometimes make remarks like, well, you know, I come and I see those folks over there, and those folks over there, they seem to have everything together. And I'm always like, it's probably those folks over there that you think have it all together that have already come apart in many different ways in their relationships. 
Because what happens is, no matter, hey, you can be a Christ follower and you can still have issues in relationships because Satan will come and he will try to do whatever he can to bring hostility into your marriage, hostility into your parent-child relationship. Satan's going to do that. I mean, I think he'd come to Moses. And again, this is Moses' fault in many ways because Moses, as the father, had given in to passivity into his life. Instead of leading his family, he had simply surrendered and said, we'll just let things go the way they will. Sounds like a lot of other dads and husbands. Sounds like us from time to time. So here you have a coming together. A reconciliation. Now, I wish he would pull the curtain back a little more and told us exactly how he approached this and how Zipporah had responded. I wish he had, but all I know is they come together. And what an anticipation they must have had. You know, what they must have been thinking about. I don't know if you've ever had a cross word with somebody, especially in a relationship before. But what kind of anticipation do you have the next time you see them? Now, okay, I'll, I'll be somewhat transparent. You may, do you know, Leslie and I, we have a crossword every now and then. Every now and then, once every three years or so, we kind of say things to each other, probably things we shouldn't have said. You know, it seems like it happens in the morning a lot of times. I don't know why. But maybe it's because I'm not a morning person. I'm not sure she's a morning person. It seems to happen in the morning. It can happen a lot of times on Sunday morning. We decide as a people, as a family, that we'll come to church together. So we ride together. I'm not sure that's good for any of us to spiritually prepare for worship. But we ride here together. And there are all kinds of things that go on. So yes, it can happen. Have you ever had a crossword with your husband or with your wife? or with a child, or with somebody in the morning, and you thought to yourself all day, I wonder what it's going to be like when I get home. I wonder if there's still going to be tension in the house. What am I going to say when I get home? How are we going to bring this to some kind of resolution, reconciliation? Maybe you've done that. If, if you've thought of that, I want you to put yourself in Moses and Zipporah's shoes because it's basically been... I would guess a year, maybe a year and a half since they've seen each other, since the last big fight. And now they're coming together. I can't imagine the expectation. It might have been the reason in verse 6 it says that Jethro had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Maybe that's the reason for the warning in verse 6. Get ready we're coming. I've got your wife with me. I've got your boys with me. Get ready. It may have even been testing the waters. Will you receive them? Will you welcome them back? Should we make sure that the sheriff's department's there while we come? Or what's going to happen? Maybe that, that is the reason that Jethro sent the word ahead. But from the reception that Moses brings to Jethro that we'll read about in a moment, and consequently, the reception and welcome he gives to his wife and to his children, I want to suggest to you that he experienced the power of reconciliation in his family. 
he experienced God working in his family to bring reconciliation. And how, I don't know, how I just needed to be reminded of his power of reconciliation this week. I've worked through a lot of things with a lot of people that have strained relationships, their marriages, with their children. How I need to be reminded, and maybe how you need to be reminded of that today. You see, he needed a right relationship with his wife, but he also needed a right relationship with his sons. He hadn't seen his boys in some year and a half. He needed to see them. He needed to reconcile. Why? Because these boys, they reflected his identity. I don't know if you caught this, but Moses put it in there like they're named the reason they're named because of Moses, because of his character and his work in God. As a matter of fact, it said Gershom was named Gershom because it means I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Who was a stranger? Not Gershom. Moses had been. Moses was living in Midian, and here he was away from Egypt, his adopted country, but also away from his people, the Hebrews. And he said, I'm going to name my son Gershom because Gershom is going to reflect my journey. And then the reason he names Eleazar is because Eleazar stands for the God of my father was my help. In other words, the boys reflect the character of their dad, even in name. Every time he called one of their names, he was reminded of his own identity. Gershom, get over here, boy. Oh, even when he said Gershom, he was reminded that God had moved him from one nation to another nation. Eleazar, time to go to bed, man. 8.30, school night, bedtime. Every time he called Eleazar's name, it meant God is my help. God is the one that's with me. Don't our children reflect us in many different ways? Whether we've named them such or they reflect our journey. They reflect who we are. They reflect identity. He needed reconciliation. And God brought it to them in a family reunion. I believe that our God is the God that has the power to reconcile all relationships. And I believe our God can take a husband and wife that's struggling and he can bring them together. I believe our God can take a father and a son that's struggling and bring them together. I believe our God can take a grandmother and a grandchild that's struggling and bring them together. I'm convinced of it. I've seen it. He is our hope. And He is the hope of reconciliation in our families. Now, there are times I struggle like you do. There are times when I want to give up hope. I remember one of my first churches that I was pastoring. Around Christmas, the young man called me. I remember it was around Christmas because we were preparing to go to North Mississippi to see our families. And he said, hey, is there any way you could meet me before you go out of town? And I made the arrangements. We kind of delayed our trip so that I could go down and I could meet with this young man. I met with him at the church. I didn't know him real well. He had just started attending the church. But he began to just pour his heart out to me about some of the things that he had done and the injury that had occurred in his marriage relationship. And let me tell you, this guy had blown it, and he had blown it big. Guys, when we blow it, it seems like we always blow it big. He blew it. It was 
a sordid tale and story. But we talked about it and I said, look, when I get back from the holidays, we'll get together. See if she'll come in. Let's visit together. I'll meet with you one-on-one on one anyway, regardless of her decision. So I came back, met with him one-on-one -on -one a little bit. Then I began to meet with the couple. They began going to counseling. And we went on like that for months and months and months. And then one Friday night during the summer, we had vacation Bible school commencement. You remember vacation Bible school commencement? We had those kinds of things pre-COVID. Remember those? Vacation Bible school commencement. It was a great night. Like the church was packed. It was the most people we had seen in the church in no telling when. And I was pumped up. I was walking out. That guy called me and said, hey, could we meet with you just a moment? And I will be honest, I was kind of like, oh, I just had such a great moment. And now I've got to come in and we've got to work. You know, so I walked into my office. They began to exchange insults. They began to talk about things. She had kicked him out of the house again. This is going on. This is going on. And I finally looked at him and I said, hey, where are we? And they said, what do you mean? I said, we've been through this several months now. Several months. It seems like we're in the same point. Like it, eight months ago, so, I mean, it's, it, we're in the same spot that we were then. And I said, you know what you call that? You know, like a rut? You call it a rut, but what is a rut? A rut is a grave with one side kicked out of it. That's what a rut is. So when you're in a rut, it's like you're in a grave. You can still see up out of it, but that's it. And man, it feels like we're in a grave here. It's like there's no life. And they said, yeah, Brother Reggie, this and this. And I said, yeah, I know. I said, look, we either got to make a decision tonight that the two of y'all are going to work this out and you're going to give the energy that's necessary. And there will be energy necessary. You will have to expend energy and you will have to forgive. We're going to decide tonight. You do that. Or, you know what? Maybe you should just get a divorce. I can't believe those words came out of my mouth. But they were there. They already escaped. I went home. Leslie said, what kept you? What, what's going on? I knew you were in the office. I said, yeah, I was in the office with so-and-so. And she said, really? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. I said, Leslie, I think I did something bad. She said, what is it? I said, well, I don't know if it was the spirit of frustration or the spirit of the Lord that was leading me. But I just told a couple they might ought to get a divorce. You did what? I remember her reaction like, you did what? I said, baby, I don't know. I can't take any more of this stuff. I mean, they got, they, I mean, I've been with every week or so we meet. I cannot take any more. Wait, that's not a reason to tell somebody to get a divorce. You are right. Oh, that was one of the three-year intervals where we had a conflict in our lives. But I was like, you are right. I should have never said that. I should have not. I've got to make sure that we make. So, but you know what? I'd given up hope. I decided it wasn't going to happen. Now, I'm a preacher of hope. I get up every week and I'm supposed to tell you about hope. But I'd given up. I had. And you know, there have been some other times in my life that I've looked at relationships and said, it's not going to happen. And I love it when God proves me wrong. I love it when the faithful shows how faithless I am. Because that young couple, they brought it together. God worked in their life, especially in that next week or two. 
And as far as I know, it's been 17, 18 years ago, and God's still with them and has brought them in more of a journey with him collectively and individually. Because you know what? There's always hope with God. And you walk in today, maybe you're watching live stream, and you think, you know what? I just don't think this is going to work, this relationship. I want you to know by the grace of God and by his work and power in your life, you can know reconciliation in your marriage. And you can know that relationship, that reconciliation with your son, your daughter, your grandchild that's gone astray. Yes, you can. You can have reconciliation with your parents. You see, this passage shows us the power of reconciliation within the family. But then you also see how it shows us the power of reconciliation in the family, but in faith. In faith. I want to show you this because, again, this is where it really continues the goodness of Moses letting us into his life and showing us the praises and what's happening. Verse 7, it says, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Get this, get this. You might want to underline it. He says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, He was above them. When I read this and as I understand the text... I truly believe this is Jethro's salvation moment. This is the moment when Jethro says, Yep, your God is truly God. Your Lord is truly Lord. And I recognize that now in my life. So here's Jethro who comes into relationship with the God of Israel. He is reconciled. So you have the family reconciling, but you have Jethro reconciling with the Lord God. It is an awesome passage to look at. It's an awesome passage to see the power of God and how he brings all of this about. Because our God has the power still to reconcile people in faith. He still can bring those, whether in our families or whether across the globe, he can still bring them into his family how does he accomplish it in this case I believe that Jethro's salvation his reconciliation grew out of a relationship and a revelation a relationship a relationship with whom a relationship with Moses it's all about relationship do you know that most all the people that will be one to Christ will be one because of a relationship that that person had with someone else. When Ben stood a few moments ago and talked to you about that green ball, yes, we need to be sharing the conversation of Christ with everybody we come in contact with, but you know that it's most effective when you have a relationship with somebody. 
that you can talk to somebody. I would bet that most of you in here that are saved, you came to Christ because you had a relationship with somebody. Somebody told you in college. Somebody told you in your family. Somebody told you. And you had a relationship with them. And you believed them. Moses had a relationship with his father-in-law. Forty years he had worked for his father-in-law. Forty years. When he got ready to leave the job, what did Moses do? Moses went to his father-in-law and said, Jethro, I need your blessing in my life. That's a symbol of respect. That he respected his father-in-law. Hey, there in verse 7 it says he goes to his father-in-law, he bows down. It is a respectful type of posture. And if you're going to win people to Christ, if you're going to see them reconciled in faith, oftentimes it's through a respectful relationship that you have with them. You're going to be respectful. They're going to trust you. They're going to believe in you. I believe that Moses had demonstrated a character of trustworthiness through all those years of work. Because how will people believe you? If people can't believe you in your matters of business, why would they believe you about the matters of the Father's business? If they can't trust you each and every day, why would they trust you when you told them something about the gospel? It's a relationship of respect and honesty and integrity and authenticity. I love this about Moses because Moses just gets real with him. When they go in, the Bible says he tells them about the difficulties and the deliverance. He says, let me tell you about the good times and let me tell you about the bad times. So he's just very raw. He's very real. And if you're going to win somebody to Christ, if you're going to help them see reconciliation in the faith, you just got to be real with people. It's not about the impression they get. It's about the authenticity that they actually see in your life. So he just, he's real. Hey, and Jethro, he knows the family issues. I'm not sure about this. It may stretch the text just a little bit, so I'm careful. But what if it is that he saw Moses actually reconciled to his family because he knew Moses had some issues. He knew that Moses, every time Zipporah had a fight, she called Jethro. What if she, they saw that horizontal reconciliation and decided that, hey, there could be a vertical reconciliation between me and God. It grew out of relationship and it grew out of revelation. Do you see what Jethro said? Jethro said, ah, now I know. I see the great power of God and what he did for you all. Now I know. I know he's the God of Egypt because he defeated them. I know he's the God of Israel. I know he's the God of Midian. Now get this. Jethro was a priest of Midian. He had been serving all these other gods, worshiping them, and he was a man of influence. And yet when he saw the power of God as he divided the Red Sea and led the people out, he couldn't stand anymore before that presence. He had to bow before it. You know, again, most of us who are saved in this place, we came through a relationship, but it also had to come through revelation of who God was. Right? As Kyle and Zach and... Jen and this gathering band led us a moment ago to recognize how great and powerful he is in his creative work and his redemptive work. At some point, you had to come and say, yeah, this is the God that I believe in, the God who can deliver. 
Hey, all I got to do is talk about the resurrection. I know some of you say, eh, it's not Easter. The resurrection ought to be mentioned every Sunday. It ought to be spoken about because if God can bring his son to life, his son who was dead, if he could bring it to him to life, that means there is no other power on this earth that's anything like him. As a matter of fact, there's not even a power in the heavens itself that's like him because there is nothing like a dead individual coming to life through resurrection power. And if we see that revelation, that should change us in who we are because there's no other like him. And that's the kind of transformation that happened in Jethro. He said, man, now I know. And what happened was he was led to adoration and association with the people of God. So look at that verse 12. It says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer God. What did he do? He just went and showed his adoration to God. God, I worship you. Because when you see that, when you know what he's done, how he's reconciled you and brought you, you just got to say, God, that's great. I appreciate that gathering band, the way they led us earlier. Man, that was great for me to be able to worship. I'll tell you, most every Sunday when I come in here and I'm led, I worship because they are encouraging me and helping me. But you know what? Your worship and my worship shouldn't be based upon just what they're doing on this stage. Whether or not they ever sing or they lead us, you and I ought to be worshiping because we ought to know the majesty and the work and the wonder of God himself. And that's, that's what happens. That's what he does. He's like, okay, he is God. I got to worship him. And then it says that Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Why is this important? Because, see, now... Jethro's come into the covenant, into the family. And now there can be true fellowship. The elders of Israel, Aaron, they come to truly commune with him. Because again, when God reconciles you, he brings you into a family, and there is a new communion, there is a new fellowship that you enjoy together. Man, what a, what a day this must have been to see the power of God and his reconciliation. I mean, think of it. Right now, for Moses, Moses gets to see his wife and his sons again. There's reconciliation. Moses gets to see his father-in-law come to faith in the Lord God. There's reconciliation. Because our God has the power of reconciliation. Isn't that the story of the gospel? Think about the gospel. The gospel is this. There is a God who is absolutely holy. He is unlike us. He is separated from us. He is distant from us. And there are people, us, who are totally unworthy and unholy. And what, how can we reconcile that? How can we get to each other? Well, you can't do it on your own. You can never be good enough and you'll never reach high enough. So what happened? God came down to us in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 says Jesus came to reconcile all things, particularly those who are lost. In Colossians 1, 19 through 25, it says he accomplishes it through the cross. So when Jesus died, what he did is he brought the holy to the unholy and he paid for the sins of men 
so that he can bring us together and reconcile us in relationship. You see, it is the story of the gospel. And it's the story that can be repeated through your family. It is the story that can be repeated through our communities. That God can bring reconciliation. This all happened at the mountain of God. Did you notice that? Mount Sinai. The same place Moses had the burning bush experience when God called him. Because where God speaks, God also mends. If God speaks and reveals, he also brings healing and mending of relationships. What else will happen there? Well, in chapter 19, God's presence will just hover over that place. In chapter 20, you'll hear the commandments given. So here's Moses, man. Mountain of God, the place where I was called to go to Egypt, the place where I see this majesty of God, the place where the commandments will come from, the place where I will be the spokesman. And while all those are important in Moses' life, I also believe he'll remember the mountain of God as the place of reconciliation for his family and even for the faith of his father-in-law. You got special places? Do you remember moments where God has spoken to you? Do you remember where you were saved and reconciled maybe to the faith? God can still move. And God can still use places. Because he still has the power of reconciliation. May you hear that this morning. May you hear his voice. And may you see reconciliation in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your power. God, as a people this morning, we say there is none like you. Absolutely none. God, you have blessed us and you have put some marriages back together. You have put family relationships back together. You have put us back together because you've drawn us in faith because of people who are around us and the revelation that you gave us. And God, right now I pray. I pray for every individual that's in this place. There are some that need to be reconciled to their parents. There are some that need to be reconciled to their children. Lord, very frankly, there may be some husbands that need to take the lead in their marriage. They need to step up and not neglect their family, but actually take initiative in their family. Would you bring some healing to this relationship and this marriage, Lord, I ask you. For the wife that needs to invest, to give herself more to the relationship, God, I pray. Because we know this is not necessarily Mount Sinai that we're at today, but we also know that it is a special place of your presence. And that you could work right here, right now, to bring mending and healing. That the hostility and the strain would melt before your presence and love. So I pray it would happen. We pray it in Jesus' name. Every head bowed. Every